Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. All right, so this is where we ended last night. Um, We define this concept of complete freedom because our society focuses on one aspect of freedom, and that's the freedom of choice, which every person ever has always had, and that doesn't make it real freedom and its shallow perspective of freedom. So we said complete freedom is, yes, freedom from those external things, those burdens, freedom from the internal stuff that can, you know, chain us to addictions and different things like that. But the most important thing is freedom to what? What have we been freed to? After we've been freed from something, What have we been freed to? What we said is that Jesus is offering you to be freed from all of these things that that want to enslave you, imprison you. He wants to release you from that, and he wants to free you to abundant, eternal life with him. And the passage that we ended with was Hebrews 12.1, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We're going to finish that passage tonight, but that's where we'll, we'll stop it. I want to talk tonight, continue um, looking at this concept, um, and I'm going to look at a couple different characters out of Scripture, the first being this guy named the Apostle Paul, and we're going to look at how Paul described himself before he came into a relationship with Jesus. He said, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church, and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. All right, there's a lot of stuff in there that in today's, you know, we don't really understand what some of this stuff means. Basically, this is Paul being like, I was top dog, right? In Paul's culture, um, religious Jewish culture, this was like as good as you can be, as powerful as you can be. Paul was there. He was at the top. Don't get lost in all the different words. That's what he's saying. And this is how other people described him. They said he was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Jesus followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of Jesus he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. See, Paul was free in one of the aspects, one of the senses of freedom. He was, in fact, he was so free, so powerful that he was able to put other people in chains, right? Take away some freedom from other people. Now, what had he been, what was he freed to be doing? He was was terrorizing people. He was hunting them down. (laughs) He was arresting them. He was even following it all the way to its completion and having them executed. That is what he was doing with his freedom. Now, contrast that with this second group of characters I want to look at tonight. These are, this is the first iteration of the church. These are the first people who started following Jesus after his death, burial, and resurrection. 
And this is how they are described by the author of Hebrews. They say, think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten, and sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. All you owned was taken from you. Man, when you look at Paul, and then you look at these people who've chosen to follow Jesus, on the surface, it looks like Paul's winning, right? He's not in chains. He's not being beaten. He's not having things taken away from him for his beliefs. He is, in fact, the one doing the beating. He's the one with all the power, and he's inflicting harm on these people who have no power. There's a story in, uh, I think it's Acts chapter 6. There's a guy named Stephen who is literally stoned to death. This is, what, this is what they would do. In the old, the Hebrew scriptures, there were certain things that if, if you did this wrong thing, it said, stone this person. And this was Paul's, this was Paul's jam. Like, this is what he was about. He was like, yeah, and he thought... He thought that he was serving God. He thought he was doing God's work by dragging these people out of the, t- out of the city and having them stoned to death. And this man, Stephen, man, if you guys get the chance, Acts chapter 6, it is an incredibly powerful sermon that Stephen gives right before he's executed. And it says that there was a, a man there named Saul. I don't know why. But God changes people's names sometimes. Uh, Jacob, who was in that video that we just talked about, he started calling Jacob Israel after he had his encounter with him. So do with that information what you will. But that's the same guy. So he was standing there, and the other Pharisees, the people who were about to stone Stephen, laid their coats at his feet. And that was basically a cultural sign of this guy is the one in charge of the execution. This guy is the one putting his stamp of approval on it. If we're wrong for it or if we carried it out wrong, whatever, he's responsible. Okay? And so Paul was that guy who was like, yes, kill this man because he loves Jesus. He was him. Right? So do we want to (laughs) be... homeboy who's about to get crushed by stones, or do we want to be the guy who's free and clear over to the side, right? On the surface, with what we can see, with the things that are physical and may seem more real, it doesn't look like you would choose to be the person on their knees with their life about to be taken from them. That's just the thing. We had to do this with the, with the, the idea of freedom last night. You, you got to dig into things. Life is more complex than we can imagine. And on the surface of things, there, there are things in life that, that our enemy has pedestaled to make them seem like the ultimate thing. They're shiny they're, they're right here. They're right now. It's the instant gratification. It makes you feel good. But everything, everything that we can see with our eyes, everything we can touch with our hands, everything we experience with our senses fades, tarnishes, goes away. 
doesn't last. And so we have to broaden our horizon. We have to expand our view of what is valuable, what is worthwhile, what is actually, in reality, more valuable. If you see a super wealthy person, it's like a dope car. What's like your dream car? What's the dream car you have? A Bugatti? Isn't that a motorcycle? That's great, isn't it? A Dodge Charger, okay, a Jeep, all right. Mine is a uh, Dodge Caravan. No, I'm just kidding. You see, you see these people, they're just like, they got the nice car, they got the big bank accounts, they got the real drip, iced out, whatever. Maybe that's not your thing. Maybe they have like a cabin in the woods and that's like your dream, That whatever. This, th these are all temporal, insignificant, eternally insignificant things, but it's what we can see, it's what we can feel. And so it feels more real, it feels like that's it but it goes away, it does not last. On the flip side, you look at Jesus' followers. You look at Jesus himself. This is not attractive in the immediate sense, to our physical senses. One of the accounts of, of Jesus' execution said he was almost unrecognizable, not like, oh, I can't tell that that's Jesus. It says he was almost unrecognizable as a human being. He had been so disfigured. That's the guy we're following. That is our savior, our leader. How in the world do we get to a place where we say, yeah, <laughs> I want to follow that guy? It's not logical, right? I said last night, you can't explain this stuff in a way that makes sense. It's, it's not, it's why we call it faith, right? It does not make sense to us where we are right here, right now. So we have to invite the Lord to open our hearts, open our minds broaden our horizons, because what Jesus did was not the end for him. And what Jesus did made it possible for this life not to be the end for us. Yes, you can die beautiful and wealthy and fit and all of those things, but if you have not been following Jesus, that stuff is doing you no favors anymore. It ends right there with you. What Jesus offers is yes. <laughs> You're going to have to take up a cross. You're going to have some hardship. The people who were following him in Paul's time were being hunted down. People complain about persecution in this country and it's laughable. When you look at what the original Christians had to go to, what believers around the world and other countries have to go through today. 
Why do they do it? Why do they put up with this? Why do they stay with it? Well, let's go back. Because we said Paul came to know Jesus. And he changed his mind about all that stuff that he said was so great and so awesome, made him just this incredible person. This is what Paul says about all of that after he came to know Jesus. He said, I once thought these things were valuable, but now, now that I've met Jesus, now that he's given me eyes to see what is really real, now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. Paul was willing to exchange his power to become powerless. He went from one who was leading arrests and executions to being one who was arrested and ultimately executed for following Jesus. Isn't that incredible? Who does that? Who gives up that kind of power, that kind of position in society and allows yourself to become the bottom of the barrel. It's someone who's had a life-changing experience, a radical encounter with Jesus that could shake up his life so incredibly. And the author of Hebrews talked about how painful, difficult, how much suffering there was in the beginning for those followers of Jesus. But after a time, he says, all of those things that you had to deal with, you accepted it with joy. Who can do that? Who can get beaten and be glad about it? Who can have things taken away from them and be thankful for it? They received it with joy because they knew there were better things. Their eyes were really open. They could see what was really valuable. There were better things waiting for them that will last forever. They may be broke, homeless, naked, ridiculed, reputation destroyed when they die. But what waits for them beyond is what Jesus had promised for them. He says, don't throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. I want to pause on this right now because it could be easy to look at it and say, man, they were just picturing some distant, far-off future where Jesus was like, I'm going to sit on the throne as king and there will be no more suffering and everything will be perfect. And like, maybe that was what was like compelling them to be like, this is okay. Everything is okay. I'm glad about this. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, yes, they had that image in their head for the future, but right now, as they're suffering, they had joy. You cannot muster that up within yourselves. It has to come from somewhere else. 
These people, these followers of Jesus were accessing the, the joy and the peace of God to have it in the moment of their suffering. Jesus says when he was here, before he was executed, he said he came that we would have abundant life right now. Not so that when they die, they can go to heaven and blah, 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 whatever. He said abundant life. It can start right now. Because what it does is it peels away whatever is blinding you, and it lets you see things for how they really are. This life is temporary. Whether, bless you, whether you're suffering or whether you're making it rain, it's temporary. It does not last. So for the Christian, if life is like awesome and I'm like balling right now, I don't get too high on that because I know it's temporary. And if life is really hard and I'm experiencing a lot of suffering, it's temporary. Because Jesus has opened our eyes. He's widened our horizon to see things for how they really are. We've done a lot of looking at like stories from a long time ago, right? And I don't want to project onto you, but when I was your age, I was like, the Bible's this huge, dusty old book. It was like reading like Lord of the Rings or Chronicles of Narnia. <laughs> it was really hard for me to like engage with the stories because they just felt it was such a different time. It was such a different culture, right? But what I want to encourage you with is talk to your counselors about these truths because they, today, right now, in this time and place, they have given up their life to Christ. It's so important to them right now. It's not some old, outdated religious hoopla. It is changing their lives right now. I mean, they're here. <laughs> I love this place. But it is not an easy job. Listen, I love you guys, but they do not pay your counselors enough to hang out with you little rascals all day long. You are amazing kids. I believe you. But why are they here? Why are they putting up with the heat and the long schedule and all that stuff and doing it with joy, mind you? Why are they doing it? Because their eyes are open to see reality. They're doing it for this moment right now where you are getting to hear God's holy word and the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. They're doing it for the conversations they get to have with you later where all this theoretical, philosophical stuff lands smack dab in the middle of your messy heart and your messy life, and they get to walk with you through that. It's worth it to them whatever they have to go through because they know what's real. They know what lasts. They want to see you when this life is over. Where they are, they're picturing that. 
And that makes all of the sunburn and the poison ivy and the sleepless nights and all that stuff, it makes it not just worth it. It's not just bearable. It's like, yes, let me suffer for the good, just like Jesus suffered. We rejoice that we can, we can taste even just a little bit the suffering that Jesus tasted. I debated whether or not I wanted to share um, this part of my story with you guys. It's um, sometimes when like people are sharing about when they met Jesus, the um, like the dark stuff can be glorified. Does that make sense? You can be like, oh, like look at how bad everything was, and nah, nah, nah. so I'm going to try to be careful not to do that. Um, but I want to I share with you guys, like, how the Lord showed up in my life. Um, so this is a picture of me in 2008. You were born in 2008? Awesome. That is such a compliment, you guys. I'm honored. Is it good looking there? All right. So let me catch you up from 1989 to 2008. We're going to do a real quick thing, and then I have a story I want to tell about 2008. I grew up in a Christian home. My dad was a pastor. My mom got cancer, died when I was 10. I was like, screw you, God. I thought you were good. And when things went sideways, I was done with him. And for, about, for years and years and years, I had a hard time. 2008, uh, my dad gets remarried, moves out of our house, and I'm 18 years old, and I'm living in a four-bedroom house by myself. Uh, I have a job, I have a car, and I'm like, this is it. <laughs> this is the moment I've been waiting for. Freedom! Nobody can tell me what to do. I can go where I want, do whatever I want, and, and for that whole year... It's exactly what I did. My dad got married like end of December 2007. That whole year, I'm just like doing whatever I want. Going to bed whenever I want. I'm eating whatever I want. I'm drinking and smoking whatever I want. I'm going to whatever websites I want to. I'm sleeping with whoever I want to. And I was miserable. On Christmas Eve of 2008, sitting alone in this empty house, surrounded by my vices, and I was like, I thought this was as good as it gets. If this is as good as it gets, I have nothing else to live for. And I decided in that moment that I was going to take my life. And so I stand up, I start to walk to go make what I thought was going to be my final decision. And this is where, I don't know, maybe it was things I heard growing up. Maybe it was the Spirit of God that just descended on me in that moment. I was overcome. 
It's a sensation I cannot explain to you. If you have experienced it, you know what I'm talking about. And if you haven't, I pray to God you do someday. All I could think about in that moment was how much God loved me. And mind you, I'm like, we talked about the prodigal son. <laughs> I hadn't even gotten to the pig slop yet. <laughs> I, was, I was in the middle of the wild living. I, I, I didn't go back to him. I wasn't like, oh, I made a mess of my life. Let me go back. I was like, life is awful, so let's just call it, right? So in my prodigal son's story, he came, I mean, he came all the way out to me. And if you would have told that strapping young 19-year-old boy how good his life could be, he would not have believed you. In that moment, I really fully and for the first time surrendered my life to God. If you would have told me I would have a chance with all the mistakes I made to end up with an incredible woman like this. If you would have told me then that these beautiful little boys would call me daddy. If you would have told me then that I would get to be a part of a community and live and serve with people that love me. I didn't think anybody loved me. I didn't think there was anything to love. But God saw all of this. God knew the potential. God said, you think you're free? Pause. Let me show you what freedom is. If you would have told this boy, all of that stuff that was going to happen, he would not have believed you because it doesn't make sense. Stop waiting for Jesus to make sense to your mind and open up your broken heart. Call him out. Tell him to prove it. Tell him to show you just how good he is. Dare him to. Because guess what? He is waiting for you. Let's pray. God, I ask that uh, as we sit in this room and we do lots of different things, um, lots of things that are appealing to our senses or our emotions, and those things are great. Uh, you made us to hear and to feel joy or sadness. These things are necessary. Um, but God, there's a whole reality um, that we are not born aware of. Um, and so, God, I pray that you would grant us um, the ability 
Bless us with the eyes to see and um, a spirit to understand and receive the possibilities of things that are beyond what we can see, what we can touch. God, if you never showed up to me that way, I don't know that I would be following you. And there are people in this room who are waiting to experience you like that. They know all the things they're supposed to know. They know, they get it. They, they understand, they've heard it all before. They haven't experienced your presence. And so God, I pray uh, this week um, you would do that. We love you, Lord. Praise your name. Amen. Um, oh, um, so kind of the concept for small groups tonight that I want you guys to take in there with you. You have questions, but um, we talked about complete freedom. What is it? Um, and then tonight, what I want you guys kind of focusing on as you go to your small groups is like how, how do you experience it? right? And one, and we said this, you have to let go of your current metrics for success. It is not the amount of money you make. It's not about the amount of friends you have. It's not about your career or academic success. It's not any of those things. You have to let go of that. You have to ask God, like, what does success look like to you? Okay? That's very freeing. Adopt an eternal perspective. Look past right here, right now, and, and consider what might go beyond, Right? I said this already, anything you can see and touch will fade, okay? So that ain't it, okay? What lasts? What goes on? Um, and then the third thing is buckle up, because it's, uh, it's a bumpy ride, but God is good. I said we we're going to finish that passage from earlier. Lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, and this is where we're going to pick up, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him... Endure the cross. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Life After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.